Welcome back to The Distracted Gardener. I am Charlie, The Distracted Gardener. Last episode, we started talking about the ways the garden can be used to keep us connected to friends and family, whether they just aren't graphic, geographically, excuse me, close to us or if they've passed on. Uh, today, we're going to continue in that vein, but unlike last week when we focused on flowers, things like marigolds and roses, uh, today we're going to be talking about things on the more edible side of the spectrum. Last week I talked about how my grandmother on my dad's side kept her own garden. Beyond a few flowers, though, I don't really remember much about it. What I do remember are the things that she used in her kitchen. Grandma was always, she always had the best food at Christmas time. Uh, I remember going there and uh, drinking just so much eggnog and getting in trouble with my grandfather because my grandfather really liked it too, but he would dilute it with milk. And, uh, but I would just drink it straight. So it'd go, it'd go really quickly and he'd get upset. But, and of course there, there are other non-Christmassy things that, that I remember from it too. But one of the things that stands out, uh, were actually, or was actually the humble radish and radishes were a super common thing to see. I remember she always had them on her salad. And I remember when I was a kid, I, I don't think I liked them all that much because they tended to be really, uh, spicy, but now I think when I was thinking about things to grow when I first started gardening, radishes were something that came up both in my memory because I remember grandma always had them and I always really liked the color, but also um, sort of researching, you know, uh, crops for a beginner, that kind of thing. Radishes always popped up and that proved out to be a really, it uh, proved to be a really good idea to grow them because they're just kind of completely foolproof. Basically, if you plant them and you are careful to make sure they're not so close together, you know, you're good to go. And it's so satisfying to take them out of the soil. Just that kind of, it's almost like a pa, like a popping that they do. But <laughs> now that I've uh, gone a little crazy for radishes, I think for memories of my grandmother, again, this is my father's mother, nothing quite beats, uh, beats, <laughs> in fact. Uh, have you ever had a pickled egg? Uh, it's kind of a highly divisive food in my family. My grandmother used to make, uh, to pickle hard-boiled eggs um, in vinegar with beets. And if that sounds uh, terrible to you, I have to say, just explaining it, it doesn't sound so great. But it wasn't that they were just in vinegar. They were pickled with vinegar and beets. And the result, after you left them for, my usually... I don't know, four, at least four days or whatever, but, but you know, the, the more you leave them, the better, was um, a violently magenta egg that it had some, some like beady, earthy tones, but you know, uh, it had like the punch of the vinegar, but anyway, uh, absolutely delicious. Apparently it's something like my grandmother's family traditionally made, being that I guess there were some roots with like the Pennsylvania Dutch. And for those who are not familiar with the Pennsylvania Dutch, they're a group of German immigrants who came to the States like in the 1700s and the 1800s. I don't know why they're called Pennsylvania Dutch despite being German, but that's where this, that's where this, uh, this, uh, 
pickled egg recipe, I guess, originally came from. But for the sake of today's conversation, all you need to know is that they're they're weirdly delicious and they're crazy addictive. And even living here in Japan, where like uh, not too many of my family members will eat them, uh, they appear in my house three to four times, and then uh, three or four times a year before they quickly uh, disappear. The trouble with these pickled eggs is that they require beets. And canned beets, I guess they're easy enough to get from like the import section at my local supermarket, but they're like they're like four dollars for a can, or what is the equivalent to four dollars a can as far as like you know how it feels. It's probably like four hundred yen, which these days is probably like a quarter in in U.S. But uh, it feels like four bucks, and yeah, and it, it's not just the cash; it's also the fact that I'm always looking to use locally grown veg or at the very least, like, nationally grown veg, right? It doesn't have to be my backyard, but at the very least, I'd like it to be from Japan. And so, all that being said, I decided to have a go at growing beets myself. And I've actually, I think I've tried two seasons in a row now. And two seasons in a row, I have failed so miserably. Usually what ends up happening is the beet itself never sizes up, so I just use the leaves and soups. And my here too, as we talked about last week with the with the rose issue, uh, lack of study and a lack of information is probably to blame. I think uh, beets, as it turns out, uh, produce compound seeds. So, like for example, like what, like a, like a marigold, right? When you open up a seed head on a marigold, it breaks into I don't know however many single seeds are inside of a seed head. Um, on the other hand, beets are compound seed, which means that like. I don't know how many, maybe like four or five seeds are stuck together into like one large cluster of seeds. So that basically when you plant them, you're not just planting one of them. You're not just going to get one sprout. Potentially you could get like, you know, three, four or five sprouts from one of those compound seeds. And I forget the name of a compound seed. It has kind of a cool name, I think, but it's, it's, uh, it's not popping up for me right now. Apparently beets can be grown sort of in clusters like that. And usually what happens is they'll grow together. Uh, meaning like in, in the very close together and then they'll sort of push each other apart as the as the you know the fibrous root kind of bulks up they'll kind of push each other apart and they shouldn't have too much trouble um, growing and sizing up however as I said for two seasons I have not gotten any proper beets um, maybe I had like one that was like you know still like a quarter the size of a, what a beet should be but I think my, my trouble when sowing uh, these seeds is that I didn't really understand this whole compound seed thing until basically I was already fruiting out or when I should have been fruiting out on the beets this year and I looked it up and found out about the compound seeds and I realized that I had I had planted probably like in one in one planter bag I had planted you know I'd op- I'd I'd opened up five holes and I probably put like two or three seeds in each of the holes thinking that that would be like, you know, two or three beets that grew and then push each other apart, like we just talked about, so it would be a trouble. But then if we think about like, even if there's only three seeds per, per, per seed cluster, per compound seed, that's what, that's nine seeds per space, right? So then, in other words, if you have like, what we said, five holes, there's 45 plants that pop up in the same pot, potentially. Um, and so you know, as much as you can say, like they, they play well together and they'll grow together even with other beets and in a relatively uh, small space, that is just too much. So, you know, I'm a small learner. I'm not a small learner. I'm probably an average sized or, or a little bit too big learner, I suppose. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm a slow learner is what I wanted to say. And so I'm not really going to be able to remedy this in my third attempt at growing beets next year, I think, now that I 
now that I uh, have the proper information, you know, you only know what you know, as they say. So for now, um, you know, grandma's pickled eggs will be made with canned imports or with the occasional miracle beat that appears at the local farmer's market or the farmer's market section at the local grocery store. Uh, wish me luck next year. Lastly, I want to talk about Japan's great shame, which is probably overly dramatic, but um, for the absolute dearth of uh, Mexican food, you know, uh, I just, uh, I got to say it's a tragedy. It's not that there's there's no good Mexican places in in Japan, I'm sure. There was there, there actually used to be a place in uh, Echizen City here in Fukui that was uh, run by a Mexican gentleman. Um, and it was so good. It was so good. I think he closed up shop and he's running like a taco, a taco truck someplace. But it's it's sort of like, you know, has very like uh, narrow seasons. But anyhow, you know, just, just about everything. Like if you really want to make decent Mexican food, you can either find it at the at the grocery store or you can at least find like, uh, you know, some kind of close approximation to, to substitute something with, you know, for example, like sour cream, you can just get plain Greek yogurt. If you want tortillas, you can go to like Costco or you can go to Gyom Super, which is kind of like a Japanese Costco. It's it's like a restaurant supplier kind of thing. Um, but you know, ordinary people can can shop there too. So yeah, that all that to say that you can find just about anything you want. But the one thing that's really difficult to find, at least again in my neck of the country, are are chili peppers. Hawk's claw peppers, takonotsume are small red chilies that are super easy to find dried. Uh, they're used a lot in like, uh, for example, my grandmother, not my grandmother, my wife's grandmother puts them in like pickled daikon radish and to give them a little bit of pop, you know, and I guess that's that's kind of how they're used. They're never used as like, at least in my experience, in the same way like you might use like a jalapeno to like make like a jalapeno pop or something like that. They're, they're never like a main part of the dish, I feel like. So those are easy to find. Uh, at least the dried version, but like habaneros or jalapenos, yeah, it's, it's just such, it's, I've, I've never seen a fresh one sold anywhere, but again, it could just be because, you know, we're, we're in the kind of the rural part of the country. And so from the first jalapenos have been a, a fixture for me in the garden. There's not been, like I said, I've been growing for three seasons now and every season I've grown them. The first year I made a mistake and I grew only one plant, uh, but I got enough off it to feel like, okay, I can do this. And I was super pumped about it, you know, but that year too, I think I was, I was watching like pepper geeks or something like that on YouTube and they were talking about overwintering it. And so I was like, okay, I'll give that a try. And so I overwintered that plant for the following season. And along with that and one more that I grew during that second season, I was just, oh my God, forget about it. I had, I had frozen peppers, hot sauces and pickles for months and I was thrilled. Um, and this last season was kind of okay. I wasn't nearly so happy with it just because I didn't really take care of, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't take care of the soil so much and just generally it was kind of an off gardening season this last time around, but I am hopeful about next year cause I'm, I'm overwintering again this year with a different plant. And also this year, kind of on a related note, I finally picked up a heating mat for seed starting come next month I guess oh that's crazy it's already January isn't it uh my end of next month anyhow so I'm I'm really hopeful about uh growing jalapenos that is something of course I don't know that it makes me feel any closer to anybody like specific like I don't like pop a jalapeno 
<laughs> pop a jalapeno like it's a drug, but I don't pop a jalapeno and think like, oh my God, grandma, or oh my God, little brother, or something like that. But it's something that just gives me more like a, I don't know, it reminds me of home kind of thing, you know? And I mean, I'm not going to kid myself. I grew up in Buffalo, so I don't know how good the, how good the Mexican food was uh, in Buffalo. Well, outside of Buffalo anyway. But, you know, I still, I still, I still miss it for sure. And it's, you know, it's all, all of this to say, both but last week's episode and today's episode, it's just something that, like, you don't really think about too much. Like, when you move to another country, like, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm almost certain that, like, when I was like, okay, well, I got the job in Japan, I'm going to move to Japan. Like, I don't think I ever thought, oh, I'm going to miss this food or I'm going to miss that particularly flowery spice provided by fresh habaneros that I can get at, like, you know, the Rochester farmer's market anytime I want. And, you know, on the other hand, it's easy to imagine how much you're going to miss your friends and family as you set off to kind of make a new life for yourself on the other side of the world, you know. And I think it's easy to think of, like, technological solutions for these kind of heartaches. But, like, you know, FaceTime is a wonderful thing, and import shops can be really helpful to scratch those itchy taste buds although they tend to put a big dent in your wallet and I guess one of the things that was so nice to discover as I'm at the beginning of this whole this whole journey to to grow food is that you know gardening for memories for connection uh well it's I think it's hard to understand how big of an impact a positive impact that can have on you um until you do it and you know so I guess all that to say, it's done wonders for me. So I hope if you're not already that you'll, you'll give it a try. You know, if there's something like you remember your grandma going, growing, or I don't know, something a friend of yours grew that you always loved and you can't be, you can't be near to that friend as much as you'd like anymore, whatever the case may be that, you know, you'll, maybe you'll, you'll pop whatever that thing is into your own garden. So uh, thanks for listening to today's episode. The Distracted Gardener will be back next Monday. Uh, we'll be talking about mail order vegetables and their sustainability. It's something that I've been sort of uh, getting into more recently, but it's something I, I'm uh, struggling with because of the sustainability aspect of it. And it's something I want to kind of talk about in an open forum like this and hopefully get some feedback on. So I hope you listen then. Uh, to make sure you don't miss out when it's out, be sure to subscribe to The Distracted Gardener on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you'd like to get even more connected, you can check out naturalfukui.com for a variety of different blog posts, or you can follow the show at naturalfukui on both Instagram and Twitter.